Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Drag up that diesel. To the MFN football team, man. Oh, what a what a ball game. I mean, seriously, a 20 to 17, 23 to 17, excuse me. A 23 to 17 victory on a Monday night. That means it's well, this is technically still Monday, but it's Victory Tuesday here in the DMV, and it feels fantastic. It's December 7th, 9 p.m. on a Monday, and I'm amped about football. That's not one, not two. That's three wins in a row for the boys. This must be what all team, like good teams feel like, fans of a good, uh, good team. I envy that. This is, it's fun. It's fun to be a fan of the football team right now. Who would have thought? Who would have thought we're saying that in December? But we're five and seven. We're alive, baby. We are alive. It feels good. This was, as you can tell by the title, I'm sure I named it something along the lines of the Logan Thomas game because that's what this was. But there were so many stars, so many studs from this performance. Montez Sweat. If people on the national media stage, and I do my best to kind of influence this as much as I can. I don't have a ton of pull. I don't. But what little pull that I do have with people on the national stage, I do my best to make sure they know who Montez Sweat is. Because it's about damn time that we put some respect on his name. We have a great defensive front. It's headlined by Chase Young, and rightfully so. Chase Young, another good performance for him. But it's time that we start paying attention 
on the big stage to Montez Sweat. The guy that forced what ended up being the game-sealing turnover. Talk about, by the way, a revenge game for John Bostic. With that interception for John Bostic, I'm back on the Bostic train. I don't know how long I'm going to stay on the Bostic train, but I'm back on the John Bostic train. This was a fun football game in the second half. The first half sucked. The first half, I, I, I don't break things when I watch games. I... My track record of not breaking anything while being a fan of the Washington football team is pretty stellar, if I must be honest, because I would imagine that there are some of you out there that have a pretty illustrious history of breaking things while watching this team play football. And I can't blame you for that. But I don't break things. The first half, however, uh, there were a lot of pillows being hit. There were some things being tossed because I did not like what I was seeing. And I will admit, I predicted on this podcast that the football team would win on the preview podcast, which obviously is a prediction that I stand by seeing as it happened. But it did make me nervous leading up to this game that everyone on these four-letter networks, these you know three-letter networks, were picking the football team to win because it didn't feel like a trap game anymore. So I was a little nervous entering the game, and then that first half didn't do me any favors, but we are we are a second-half team, and we've been a second-half team, it feels like, all season. I hope and pray that at some point in the final four games, we become a first-half team as well, but we've been a second-half team, and the second-half performance was fantastic. I mean, quite frankly, Alex Smith looked like a completely different guy in the second half. I don't know if it was because the gash and the big cut on his leg, which was scary for just a brief second until you realized, oh, nope, that's on the other leg. It got a little bit easier to deal with once that uh, fact was made clear. But the, the, the gash on his leg may have impacted a couple of his throws. I thought the, the throw to Steve Sims in the first half. Alex hopefully hits that one if the gash isn't there. And I say that, and I point out that throw in specific because that is when the gash actually happened. He got his leg stepped on as he was throwing it, so maybe he completes that throw. That aside... The second half performance from this team, not just putting a beat down on the Steelers' defense and scoring 20 of the team's 23 points in the fourth quarter, but completely stopping the offense for Pittsburgh. They scored 14 points in the second quarter and three in the entire second half. The defense was alive, and they really shouldn't have even scored one of the touchdowns. It was just poor tackling, which I thought was going to end up being the story of this game defensively for our squad because there were several plays where it was just poor tackling on full display. I would say on full display for the entire world to see, but because for some unbelievable reason, uh, this game wasn't nationally televised, which is stupid. It, I mean, I, get, I do understand uh, the reasoning for it, but it doesn't mean it's good reasoning. It just doesn't. It was stupid. This game should have been nationally televised. It'll be a better damn game than this Buffalo-San Francisco game that's going on now. 
And I want people to see, I want our team to be on full display when we win. We have all of these knocks that have been thrown our way over the past two decades about how terrible the team is against good teams, how terrible the team is in prime time on one of the nationally televised games. And yet, for some reason, this game wasn't, and they take care of business. I, it's just stupid. This game should have been nationally televised, and the NFL and Fox and maybe DirecTV, whoever's in charge of making this decision, they really dropped the ball on this one because I think the world, I think the world would have liked to have seen this one. I know I'm biased. I know it. But I think the world would have liked to see this one. Interesting stat here. The Pittsburgh Steelers ran the ball 14 times, 21 yards on 14 carries. We didn't do a whole lot better. 21 carries for 45 yards. Of course, uh, Antonio Gibson missed a majority of the game. He had just two carries for 14 yards battling uh, that foot injury. And that perfectly segues us into the good and the bad. This will be a bit of a... uh, a shorter podcast because I'm literally doing it off the cusp. I have absolutely no notes. I have like four things written down. We are just going off of the dome at this point. But there were a lot of good in this football game. And maybe the best thing from a long-term perspective, because they kept mentioning this on the broadcast, how Mike Tomlin and the defense, they wanted to do everything they could to shut down 17, to shut down 24. 24 gets hurt. He only touches the ball two times, Terry McLaurin has his worst receiving game as a professional in games that he should have played better in. He was targeted six times. He had two receptions for 14 yards. So our top two playmakers on the offensive side of the football played bad, or in Antonio Gibson's place, didn't play. And the team still won. Guys stepped up in the place of our playmakers when they needed to. And correct me if I'm wrong here. That's not a normal thing for this franchise. We are witnessing right now in the midst of this three-game win streak a cultural shift. And it felt weird to say something like that after Cincinnati and after Dallas because both of those teams suck and Joe Burrow got hurt and didn't play a majority of the second half for Cincinnati. So it felt weird to be bragging about beating teams that we were supposed to beat. Winning what should have been winnable games. But this on paper is so much different. Pittsburgh has unbeaten. They had a zero in the loss column. And the top two playmakers combined for 28 yards offensively. And the team still won because guys stepped up. That's refreshing, man. I mean, it it really, really is. That I don't understand how you can, even if you're the most cynical, if you're the most cynical of fans of the football team, how do you look at that and find a way to be angry at it? That should that should bring an immense amount of joy. It's the holiday season, right? We want all the joy in the world during the holiday season. This fills you with joy. If it doesn't, you aren't living. You're not. This is fantastic. You should be thrilled. Logan Thomas, this is the Logan Thomas game. He played the best game of his career. He's been playing tight end for four years in the NFL. He caught nine passes for 98 yards today in a touchdown. Those 98 yards were more than he had in the first season and second season that he played tight end. 
He broke that on one game. We had a lot of questions about Logan Thomas as to what we could actually expect from him at the tight end position. I've been thrilled. I really have. I know early in the season I was very critical of Logan Thomas, and understandably so, because he was not making plays that I thought he was capable of making. Well, now he's doing it. Logan Thomas is making plays, and that was that was the story of the game. When the football team needed a big play, they went to 82, and 82 was there when his number was called. He was thrown to nine times. He had nine receptions. That's perfection. Nine receptions, 98 yards, and a touchdown. The leading receiver for the game. What more can you ask for a guy that's only been playing tight end for a handful of years? You can count the years he's been playing the position on your hand. And he's stepping up against the lone unbeaten team in the NFL. Understandably so, the broadcast is riding Pittsburgh to start this game. The story is all about the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's what happens when you're 11-0. Like, we should be able to understand that. As annoying as it is, as much as I hate it, because I knew that our team had a chance to win, you understand why the broadcast has to ride Pittsburgh entering the game. That's the A, B, C, and D story. They're 11-0. But Logan Thomas is the guy that brought that win streak, that brought their chance at possibly going 16-0, at running the table, doing something only the, the 72 Dolphins could do. Logan Thomas is the guy that brought those dreams crashing down. Oh, it feels good. And now for the next four years, because let's be real, if you live in the DMV, even if you don't, wherever it is that you do live, and you support the football team. Odds are, because Steeler fans are annoying as all hell, you know a Steeler fan, maybe multiple Steeler fans, that don't ever shut up. Well, your team just shut them up. And that feels good, doesn't it? You can talk all the talk for the next four years about how we beat Pittsburgh. We gave them the lone loss on the season so far. This was the Logan Thomas game. So, obviously, Logan Thomas, he's getting a game ball. His performance today, nothing short of spectacular. The best performance of his career. And right behind him was Cam Sims, who I feel like is a guy that we haven't been talking about a ton over the past few weeks. We talked about him in some of his performances against the New York Giants, but we hadn't really been talking about him against Cincinnati or against Dallas. But Logan Thomas, or not Logan Thomas, but Cam Sims, like Logan Thomas, stepped up. Over the past, uh, over the past few games, Logan, or, uh, so Cam Sims had his uh, 110-yard performance, his kind of uh, breakout game against New York on November 8th. In his next games, his next two games following that, he didn't play um, against Dallas. Or at least he didn't record any receptions. He had 54 yards against Detroit, 20 against Cincinnati, and 92 today. He stepped up. When the offense needed a play to be made, Cam Sims was there to make a play. So Cam Sims gets the other offensive game ball. I do think that Alex Smith played well. There, he does have a serious case of, of happy feet when he's in the pocket sometimes, which is 
you know, decently understandable considering his circumstances. And we've heard the story so many times. Like, I'm not going to retell the Alex Smith story. If you are this deep into the podcast or if you're just listening to a Washington football team podcast in general, you know the story of Alex Smith. So we understand why he does have some happy feet. But it is something that I have noticed. He played well, though. Just shy of 300 yards. In fact, four yards shy of 300 yards. But he goes 31 of 46, 296 and a touchdown for Alex Smith. Unfortunately, we weren't able to sack Ben Roethlisberger. They put up a stat at one point. It was like 231 dropbacks for Ben Roethlisberger without a sack. I was really hoping that either Chase Young or Montez Sweat, Dron Payne, John Allen, anybody on this defensive front was going to be able to snap that especially after they put it up, because they put it up pretty deep in the game. It was like the fourth quarter, which is generally not the time you throw up that statistic. I'm not super-duper huge on the broadcaster's jinx, but like sometimes it does happen, right? So I thought them flashing that graphic was a sure sign that at some point Ben was going to get sacked. And there were a couple times in the fourth quarter where I thought we were going to have him, and he is like Ben Roethlisberger, for the size dude that he is, because he's not small. But for the size of a man that he is, he is like oddly crafty. And oddly agile as well. So we weren't able to sack Ben Roethlisberger, but we do pick him off. Uh, the game bowl on the defensive side, 100% goes to Montez Sweat. He he was the guy that tipped the pass on what ended up being the game ceiling interception. So a round of applause to Montez Sweat. I can't rave enough about the guy. Montez Sweat is everything and anything that we wanted Preston Smith to be a few years ago. Sweat is just actually that and a whole lot more. His athleticism is freaky. And just the idea and the thought of Sweat and Young on the outside for years to come, I mean, it's it's sensational. It really is. Like, change your pants. It's so good. Those two guys are going to dominate opposing offensive lines for years to come and they're both so young now and Chase Young played fantastic he made a touchdown saving tackle he's not going to Chase Young isn't going to hit my mark for him which was double digit sacks to end his rookie year unless he just goes crazy against Philadelphia which is not out of the realm of possibility but he has four and a half sacks on the year But he is playing significantly better football. Ever since that Detroit game, where he didn't play well, he had that silly penalty that ended up costing the team the game. Ever since that game, Chase Young has found himself. I don't know what it was about the Detroit game, if he just had a great moment of reflection, if it was divine intervention. I have no idea what what turned in, in Chase Young's mind. But he has been playing fantastic football as of late. Even if he isn't having jaw-dropping performances statistically, he is playing fantastic. And the defense won this football game. Even when the offense put them in bad positions, struggling in the first half, the defense won this football game. And I think a lot of us knew entering this season that our defense was, one, going to be better than that atrocious mess that we had on the field last season. But we also knew that they were going to win us a few games. Last week against Dow, I mean, that was that was all offense. The Cincinnati game, you can kind of attribute it to, to, to both. But this was, this was a game against a really, really good team in Pittsburgh. One of the best. Not the best, because Kansas City is still the best. I don't care what the records say. 
But in a really good team against Pittsburgh, the defense flexed their muscles and showed we are capable of winning a football game just based on us against a good team. That has to make you feel good. It, it really, really does. And finally, the, the final good thing, the really, really good thing that I took away from this football game we talked about Terry McLaurin not playing sensational. This was this was a bad game statistically for Terry McLaurin. And if we're going to praise the guy, we we have to mention that. But here is here is the difference when it comes to Terry McLaurin to some of the other wide receivers in the National Football League. Some of the other guys that I feel like are on his level or the level that he is eventually going to hit. When he has a bad game catching the ball, not making the plays that we're used to seeing him make. A lot of guys elsewhere will just take plays off. They'll stop. They won't um, They won't attribute in other ways. Terry McLaurin's still out there blocking. On one of the big plays of the first half, Cam Sims getting in position and helping us get in position for a field goal. Who's blocking for him? Terry McLaurin is. So even when he is not having the success that we're used to him having, catching the football, he is still doing the little things. He's still getting out there, and he's still putting his nose on defense. He's putting a hat on defenders. He's not afraid to keep doing the little things, and that's what separates him from a lot of the, not just young receivers, but I feel like a lot of the great wide receivers in football. Even when he's not playing well, he is still doing whatever it takes to help this football team win. Let's talk a little bit of the craftiness. How about Alex Smith getting us a free three points? They talked about this on the broadcast, and I love veterans being veterans. And when Alex Smith took what is a terrible sack, it's a bad sack, it's a sack that rookies in some instances will end up getting benched for. They'll get chastised, they'll get ripped into on the sideline. Alex Smith took a bad sack that we thought was going to end the first half. But in a crafty move, the veteran takes the ball off the field, which essentially gives the football team a timeout and allows them to set up for a field goal and hop, hits the field goal. As of this recording, Mike Tomlin hasn't spoken to the media yet, but I'm going to guess. Just put a little guess out there. That is going to be a topic of discussion in Mike Tomlin's post-game press conference. And to both Mike Tomlin and all of the wonderful Steelers fans, if any of them have happened to stumble across this podcast, to you, I say, suck it! Oh, it felt good. Oh, being on the right side of that felt really good. Gotta love Alex Smith for that. Play a little dirty. Play a little dirty. We're not afraid to play a little bit dirty, man. And that's like the good, that's the good fun dirty, so not like uh, attacking people dirty like the John Bostick hit. But I like playing this sort of dirty. Chess, not checkers. If you can outsmart your opponent, outsmart your opponent. And Alex Smith did that. 
Now let's look ahead real briefly to wrap this podcast up. We sit at five and seven somehow because let Russ cook has completely just died out and the Seattle Seahawks are complete frauds. They lost to the Giants and the two losses that our team has against the Giants by combined four points are really coming back to bite us in the rear end as it stands for the divisional race. Both the RT, both teams sit at five and seven. The Giants are very much in the driver's seat to end up winning the division. But here's a look at the schedule the Giants have ahead of them. They have the Cardinals, the Browns, the Ravens, the Cowboys. So the good thing about their next four games, while all four of them you could argue are winnable for the Giants, because the Cardinals have their degree of issues. The Browns, while they played well this week, I don't know if I fully trust them yet offensively, and I don't know what the Ravens are. I have no idea what the Ravens are. They're one of the more confusing teams in the NFL. Dallas sucks. That's a winnable game for the Giants. But those three, those can be hit or miss. Now, the benefit from our perspective is that all three of those teams are either jockeying or battling for playoff position. The Browns are about a win away from clinching a playoff spot. It would have to be a disastrous finish to the season for for the Browns to not end up in the playoffs. But for the Cardinals and the Ravens, if the playoffs started today, they're on the outside looking in. So next week for Arizona, that's a game they need to have. So they're going to bring their A game, and I hope that they do. I hope Kyler Murray just flips the switch and plays at a damn near MVP-like level. I think there's a realistic possibility that the Giants can go 1-3 and to close out the season. I don't know what the future of Daniel Jones is, so obviously that plays a factor into it. It was bittersweet to see not just Colt McCoy, but Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris beating the Seahawks. It's like, wow, Alfred Morris doing the home run celebration against Seattle. That would have been nice in 2012, am I right? But... Seeing that was was like somewhat bittersweet. I don't know if the Giants can can withhold that degree of success without Daniel Jones over the next four games, which gives me hope as I look at our schedule. We're gonna have and we're gonna be at San Francisco next week, which I think is gonna end up being played in Arizona because of those weird and wonky California rules. Then we play Seattle, and Lord help me. If Seattle goes from scoring 12 points against the New York Giants to whatever they do next week, and then all of a sudden they have this, they just this come to Jesus moment where they find all of their offense, and all of a sudden Russell Wilson plays at an MVP level and throws five touchdowns on 31 attempts, I'm going to be furious if he does that against us. But after the Seahawks, we have the Panthers and the Eagles. We are winning those final two games. Book it. We are winning the final two games. We're beating Carolina. We're stomping Philadelphia. It comes down to San Francisco and Seattle, and then it comes down to what New York is going to do in their next three. Because we're marking it for New York, they're beating Dallas. So at the very least, we are going to be have seven wins. At the very least, New York is going to have six wins. It just comes down to both our organizations are going to end up playing good football teams. Who gets the upper hand against good football teams? And maybe it's because we just beat Pittsburgh. Maybe I'm just riding this wave of a high. But I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling good. And I want to know how you feel. Hit me up on Twitter. How do you feel? 
Do you feel good? Are you loving what you saw on a Monday evening? Because damn, that felt good. Hit me up on Twitter at the Denton Day. We'll be back to preview this upcoming week's matchup against the 49ers later in the week. Until then, enjoy this win. Drink it in, man. It feels good. I'm out. Peace. Hail to the football team. Hail, hail for